What's going on, grappling fans? It is Tuesday, and we're back again with another episode of Who's Number One. Today is a very exciting show because we have none other than two-time ADCC champ JT Torres joining us here on the broadcast. JT, thanks for calling in, brother. We also have our regular co-host, Michael Sears, Ricardo Amendolia, and Bear from Show You Roll. What's going on, fellas? How are we all doing out there? Doing great. Doing great. Hanging in there. So, uh, JT, you were just telling me it's a little bit of a, a weird vibe out there in New York. What, what's it like out there right now? Can you, uh, can you tell us how your, your life is these days? Man, it's a super – it's strange times right now, especially – I mean, all over the world, I'm assuming. But I know for a fact here in New York, things are are just strange right now where, you know, everything is closed for the most part. People are not really out and about. People are staying indoors. Uh, you, you get that weird vibe where you know the other yesterday actually I went to the supermarket to get a few things and you can tell people don't want to be near each other. Uh, there's pictures coming out of Times Square right now where Times Square is like completely empty, which is unheard of. It's just insane. Um, it's just some real strange times, man. You know, I had to close down my academy. Uh, you know, I just I literally have nothing to do. Where I'm usually a person who's Training, teaching, traveling, competing, doing this, this, and that, doing something, and now I just have nothing to do, and just I don't know. It's just it's almost like time has frozen out here. Yeah, it's definitely uncomfortable. Bear, you're there in California, one of the harder hit states right now. What, what's life like for you? I see you're still in the office, still going to work. And uh, just trying to find toilet tissue on eBay. You know, if I could find some pot or on the shelf for a loaf of bread. I'm a, sto- I'm a happy man, but that, besides that, it's a, it's like a, California is a great place to be right now because there's no traffic, you know. But other than that, you know, just like everybody else, kind of like riding the wave. Ricardo, yeah. uh, your turn to chime in here. We've heard from everybody else. How are you doing up there in Canada? Yeah, it's going good. I live kind of like in a suburb part of the city, and um, there's not many people outside. You know, it looks kind of like a ghost town. Uh, I know, like, more closer to the city in Toronto, like, there's like a guy pulled a gun on another guy trying to get some toilet paper. Two people got arrested at Costco the other day, fighting over toilet paper. Um, it's 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 you know a couple here incidents like that, but yeah, not much else really going on. I've kind of you know staying in the house with the family, you know, watching some um, reviewing Bears old half guard DVD. So I have some secrets to beat him in our who's number three match. So, you know, I'm just doing some tape study. I, I got I got something for him. I got something for him. But all seriously, everything's good. Everything's good. Uh, J- JT, so your uh, academy's closed down right now, right? Yep, it's closed. How long is that? How long is that? Uh, it, has it been shut down for? So I, I shut it down actually before they made made it mandatory to shut down. So I shut it down last Thursday night was the last class we held. And the reason why I shut down a little bit earlier than, than most academies is because my academy is located in Westchester, New York, which is the epicenter of this virus here in New York. Oh, shit. Um, yeah, so I'm like probably a few miles away from New Rochelle, which is, you know, it's been blasted all over CNN and Fox News the last two weeks. Um, that's where the problem is here in New York right now. And like I said, my academy is only a few miles away from there. And I have students who live in New Rochelle. So I told myself, man, um, I mean, I, I don't really know what I'm dealing with here. I don't want to get somebody sick and then spread through wildfire through the academy. Uh, you know, I don't want someone to get sick and spread it through, you know. And they're, they're, they're saying there's people who are sick that don't even show symptoms. So we don't know who's who right now. We don't know who's sick, who's not sick. 
um, just the unknown. So just for the safety of everybody, the community, I'm trying to do my part and trying to stop the spread. I know there's some people out there who don't believe in it or calling it a hoax or whatever. But, you know, my fiance has family in Italy right now. And, you know, I told her like last week, hey, get in contact with them, see what's going on. And, you know, the, the things that we are hearing are, are for the most part true. Everyone's just shut down, locked down. People are running out of space in the hospital. So I can see why we're shutting down and, and trying to quarantine out here to avoid having those same issues that other countries like Italy are having. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I'm sure your day normally is, like, all teaching and training, basically, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm still, I'm a full-time uh, instructor and a full-time competitor still, so my life is super hectic and busy, which is a life that uh, I love in times like this make me realize how much I love my lifestyle. But, yeah, I'm usually training, teaching, doing something, you know, running, lifting. I'm always on the go 24, 24 hours a day pretty much. And now just literally shut down, like nothing to do. I'm sitting on, sitting at home, just scratching my head, man, trying to get my, you know, wrap my head around everything that's going on. What are you doing to pass the time? You working out at home? You playing video games? You go, what are you doing to pass the time over there? Um, right now I'm playing a lot of Madden. A lot of NFL Madden right now. That's what I'm doing. Uh, that's what I'm doing a lot of, and that's pretty much it. Been trying to work with the online, my online website, which I'm grateful I had that already set in place before all this happened. So, you know, I went to the academy yesterday, uh, filmed a whole bunch of like solo drills, things like that, that uploaded and still uploading. So the students, my students can, you know, use them and try to do something while being at home. Um, but other than that, man, I just organizing the house i cleaned the house up yesterday a little bit and that's it man that's it just i literally have nothing to do yeah you doing any workouts around there i mean i'm doing like push-ups and like yoga at my house i don't try because i'm working from home as well you, you doing anything to stay in shape out there or are you just taking it easy taking what, what is a good solo drill like i try and think about how to do that and i end up just doing like the windshield wipers and thinking like i'm an idiot shrimping and, in your bedroom <laughs> shrimping in my bedroom like what kind of what kind of sh- solo drills do you got going on out there jt <laughs> You know, I like using the, the belt, working your spider, lasso guard, moving hip to hip, side to side. I like the ones where you hip up, lock up triangle, come back down, kick the legs out, back in, and up again for the triangle. Um, those kind of drills are good drills where they keep your, your technique sharp uh, and also give you a little work. I'll get you sweating a little bit. Uh, another one I like to do is where you hip escape out and then you belly out, then you're coming up on a single leg, and then you use windmill back through to the other side so this way – Another drill to keep you sharp and also keep you working out and, and staying active. But to be honest with you guys, right now, uh, I'm not doing anything whatsoever. I'm trying to trying to see the positive out of this situation where, like I, I was telling you guys earlier, I'm constantly on the go, working, moving, drilling, training, lifting, running, whatever it may be. So my body's always beat up, you know, for the most part. So now I'm taking this time to kind of let little nagging injuries heal up a little bit and you know, give myself the rest of the week to kind of recover, let the body heal up, and then next week I'll start doing little workouts and training sessions here at my, on, on my carpet, for pretty much. <laughs> you uh, all right, please uh, skip space. But, oh, uh, space. What I was gonna say. You go for it, Chase. Completely forgot. All right. Well, bear, bear. Uh, what um, what's the community like out there in California? You know, it's one of the most condensed jujitsu uh, hubs in the U.S. Um. Are gyms still operating out there? I know, I know that might be one of the last places where it's still a lot. Of, I see a lot of people training on my, my Instagram and things like that. 
I think some gyms are open. I think um, a lot of gyms are shutting down as well. I think um, just like every day something comes out. So like one city, as like each city hits, it's like, okay, this city is no longer offering food to go. I mean, food restaurants to, to be open. So um, I think it just happens for city every day, like another city's closing. So um, each gym is closing every single day. So I think it's kind of trending to probably by the end of the week, maybe like 80% of gyms will probably close and probably 10 or 20% will still be kind of rogue and operating. But um, it just looks like everything's going to slow down for probably like the next two to four weeks until we pass this whole thing, you know, so. Yeah, it's wild for me. I'm so I'm so not used to being home that I, I used my oven for the first time the other day. I've been living there for seven months. So, so I've been on I'm a little self quarantine since Friday, so I figured out how to make coffee and how to cook at my house. So I'm, I'm making progress. Serious. How many uh, of those DiGiorno pizzas have you have you eaten, Sears? I've had, I've had five DiGiornos. Five DiGiornos in four oh, days. Man. Yeah. Hey, don't sleep on DiGiorno. DiGiornos is really good. <laughs> Especially in a pinch like I'm this. Telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling yeah. you right now. With all these gyms, clo- with all this, with all these gyms closing, no one's going to be doing jujitsu anymore. Everyone's just going to be on their Peloton bike cycling. You know, yeah. it's going to be my, a new thing probably. Yeah. Speaking of DiGiorno, my yeah. wife thought I was crazy last night. I ate a whole DiGiorno and then I ate this whole thing of Ben and Jerry's, and I like ate so much that I got sick. <laughs> and I like couldn't do anything. She was like, "What is wrong with you?" And I was like, "Or you got a ration that stuff?" <laughs> I was legit ate until I got sick last night. So. I got to get it together. I'm going to get fat working at home. Uh, all right. So uh, you guys ready? You want to move on to uh, showing some ADCC stuff? Move yeah, on to that? You know, get away from the uh, virus talk? We've move covered on to, the State yeah. of the Union, sure. I think, pretty, pretty yeah. clearly here. Let's go to some happier times. Let's see some ADCC Let's action. Ricardo, you put the clips together, so you go ahead and call them out and let Caleb and them know what to play, and then we'll, uh, we'll get it going. Okay. So uh, the first clip – is a match with you and Celso from ADCC 2017, live from Henlu. Okay. I'm getting over the flashbacks here from Finland. Um, you know, I can't see the clip rolling yet, but uh, yeah, here we go. There it is. So this is pretty interesting. Like you guys had a pretty hot match. Um, I, there was a, a moment there where you ended up in half guard. I think we're going to roll a little bit of yeah. that before that, but yeah. there's a really slick little half guard sweep that. I was kind of specifically wanting to get your feedback on. So okay. how many, give us, give us some insight. Oh, there's that like arm drag inside leg trip, man. I've, I've yep. probably seen you hit that about 10 times in all the clips that I've been watching. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about that first. Cause that's something that you just have on. Yeah. So about oh, that inside double leg. Yeah. Um, oh, wait, wait, wait. Sorry, know... sorry. Here it is. Here it is. Here's the half guard. Okay. Yeah. That. Yeah, so well, walk us through what's no, it's going when you on hit right that, now. It's when you hit that. It's when you hit that John Wayne sweep, JT. When you hit yeah. that John Wayne sweep on the little tip. Right. So what happened here was I actually shot a sweep single, and I made the mistake of reaching for his waist, and he did a good job of hitting me with the uchimata there, putting me on my back. So he put me on my back, and he he uh, I felt him kind of bunkered bunkered down in my guard like he wanted to stay there he scored and he wanted to stay in place and not move so i've been working this technique a lot where when someone on top wants to stay on the two knees and not really move too much i go to the half guard and i trap on the same side of the half guard that i'm playing i trap that arm i grab the wrist there but when i grab the wrist i i'm actually grabbing real nice and light i don't want to grab them too strong where i'm squeezing the hand and i'm make them feel threatened there so he kind of relaxed there and when he relaxed, that's when I hipped in, and I just hipped him over to the side where I was controlling his hand, where he couldn't post out. And I think from the clip, he uh, he may have posted on his elbow, so I just hipped out to the other side, reached around his back, and escaped out the back door. 
So that's where he's right here, doing right Chimata right there. So I start playing my half guard. Uh, so I get to the position here. And then I just feel when he steps back over, he just wants to stay tight, nice and heavy and low, not really do much here. And boom. right there, boom, reach out the back. Yep, came out the back door. And, you know, for those out there who compete against Celso, you guys know what I'm talking about. He's a hard dude to hold down. He's just, he's like a little, he's like a little, you know, tank. I don't know how to describe him, but he's yeah. hard to hold down. But I caught him off guard with that. But what about where JT, to go back up. to that little part before we yeah. missed it. Like that was super interesting, that control that you were using, like right after you hit the sweep and you jumped to his back. And like you almost, oh, like, yeah. it was almost like um, it was almost oh, like a like an over under like over under like Kimura grip, but almost like a like a like a clot choke slash body lock over yeah. under control to to use it to not not let him. I haven't seen that much in nogi, so that was like really cool to see that that variation. Yeah, that's uh, something I practice a lot, especially during the ADCC camps. It's just those awkward positions where you got to hold your partner when they're standing trying to avoid the back take and. You know, it, it played out pretty well for me in, in this match. I think we'll see that. Yeah, I haven't seen too many people use that shortly here. Like right, yeah. it right here. Then right here, was he jumps up, like you try and jump on the back, and then you you fall off yeah. a little bit. Yeah, it does look like a clock control choke. right here. Yeah. It's definitely like a clock choke, that? and like yeah. I've never seen Is anybody that? use that control to kind of keep someone down. You know, it's super cool. Yeah, I didn't want him to reach throw? back with his arm to overhook me, so that's why I kept that double underhook and kept his arms flared out to give me a better chance to control him. JT, how long have you been doing that uh, arm drag t for the from the feet? Because you're you're money with that thing, man. Yeah, you know, a lot of people don't uh, don't know, but I, I started wrestling when I was like 11, 12 years old, and that's a takedown I started developing at a young age. And I remember, uh, you know, when I started doing jujitsu, wrestling took a back seat, but I always wrestled, always wrestled, uh, especially at, during the summertime when college kids would come home. I would wrestle with them at the mat clubs and, and keep improving my wrestling. So. Uh, around the same time, I remember watching Marcelo Garcia hit that arm drag a lot, but Marcelo would always arm drag and hits his hip. And then what I started doing was, com you know, combining his arm drag, but then combining with a double leg. I used to love shooting double legs. So I said, you know, I'm going to arm drag, but go forward. And that's something I developed at a pretty young age. I'll say probably when I was a teenager, I started working that a lot. And I remember wrestling with kids from college, I, you know, wrestling solid college wrestlers and taking them down with this takedown. I'm like, okay, it, if it's going to work on them, I'm sure it's going to work on some jiu-jitsu guys. And that's how I started, and it's it's been one of my money takedowns ever since. I, mean, I remember I, I was talking you know, with the guys from Flow Wrestling, uh, and they said yeah. that the, the – I don't know if you want to call it a trip, but the kind of sweeping action you do with your foot on that double leg is actually a little bit uncommon in wrestling, like in college wrestling. It is. Um, where did you pick that up? Where was the inspiration for that? Um, it, It's almost – judo that's something else i watch too is a lot of judo i'm actually a brambo in judo a lot of people don't know that either i'm a brambo in judo and i like to coach igari so when you go inside and like a little little movement to the inside of the leg and it's almost like a variation of a coach Igari, but i'm just hooking the leg instead of trying to sweep the foot out so i'm hooking with a deep hook and just collapsing to my knee and it, it's true what you said a lot of people in the wrestling world don't expect that takedown so i remember when i was doing it to these to these other wrestlers in practice they were like, what the hell is that? I've, you know, I've never seen that takedown. And, um, yeah, I mean, it catches a lot of people off guard. It's a fast one. So it's like a combination of Marcelo's arm drag and a combination of a coach Ugari and a blast double leg that combined all together. And it's just been using it for years now. 
Very nice. All right, uh, that's that's an awesome breakdown of that one. Ricardo, are you ready to move on to your second clip? Yeah, second clip I chose uh, was a match with you and Gary Tonin. And uh, you yeah. guys had an amazing, you know, you've had awesome matches over the years. And this little ankle pick yeah. here was something sweet. Little trip here coming up with the foot, boom. And, you know, yep. the thing for me that I, I wanted to know is, like, that that was so slick. It looked like it was so precise. Was that something that you felt really confident um, going into the match yeah, with Gary, or is it right something there. that you did kind of on impulse because Gary lowered, lowered his base and was popping back up? Or talk a little bit about that. Like, where'd you get the inspiration for that one? And is it something that you specifically trained or just kind of improvised with? I love hearing when people improvise stuff and, and how premeditated attacks were. I, I get fascinated by that a lot. So yeah, go for it, yeah. JT. Well, the ankle pick's also another takedown I've been, I've been using – for a long time, there's like a really good picture of me actually in the finals of Pan Am's 2015, where I'm shooting an ankle pick on on the Florida boy actually, and it's a really cool picture. So that's a takedown I've been using for a long time. And in this match, you know, I, I've I've known Gary for years. We actually competed once before this, and I know his style. His style is uh, is a dangerous style, so you got to be super careful with him. So. I told myself if I'm going to wrestle Gary, um, if I can get his leg up high, it'd be an easy way to put him down in a safe way, right? I don't want to shoot in too deep and have him go for like, I don't know, a guillotine or more trap that he's pretty good at. So when I saw him loading heavy onto that left foot, I saw a lot of weight. He was, you know, leaning forward, leaning forward. And I saw that left foot of his pretty heavy. So I said, you know, I'm going to snatch it up and pick it right up. Uh, once I picked it right up, I knew it was money. You know, I knew I knew he was going to go down. That's almost exactly like a, it's like he finishes a little different, but that the setup there is like a John Smith. That's like the way you drop down and yeah. uh, and, and cup the heel like yeah. that. Yeah, that's uh, basically like a textbook John Smith setup. Have you been? Did you do that yeah. in your wrestling days a lot too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a, another takedown I would practice a lot. Um, in wrestling, I would do it with I bring the head inside and something yeah, exactly. the person up over the top. But like I said, Gary's a dangerous guy, so I wanted to avoid doing any of that. So. Um, I wanted to take him down without having to get too close to him, if that makes sense. You know, so when I picked that foot up, I wanted to finish from, you know, this high up position where I hiked it up um, and had space to work with. Yeah, I think the way you're talking about you would finish it in wrestling is uh, a little bit easier to finish with shoes on, too. Uh, like like there, it'd be yeah, a little bit yeah. easier for Gary to slip out at ADCC and everything. Exactly. I think the one thing and that's... I Interesting about that clip too. There is uh, the way you finish the takedown. If you look at the score, uh, there's like only 40 seconds left. I mean, that was a definitive moment in that match. I was surprised that right. Gary didn't um, scramble away. Was that because you had the control on the top of the thighs? Like, what was uh, what was your finishing kind of position there? If you could remember, uh, I just so let's see it again. So I boom hit it one two. Because Gary's such a scrambly guy, my immediate reaction to that he is to try and try and run out of there. Yeah, but... like if you watch the him, the match with him and Renato Canuto, they couldn't finish a takedown on each other at all. They were exactly, all scrambling. Exactly, but out. he just sort of, did he accept right. that? Or I mean, it just seems very um, odd that it was so clean. <laughs> I think the scrambles no, came from fight. shots, though. You know what I mean? Like I think yeah. a lot of guys when they sorry to interrupt you, JT, but I think no, the no, biggest as an observer, what everyone seemed to do with Gary was shooting on him, and then he would just sort of put his arms out and roll out of every single takedown. Whereas that kick prevented exactly like he was doing that as a joke against Wagner and just jumped out of it. So with this ankle pick, it kind of prevented him by bringing his foot above his hip line. 
he wasn't really able to swivel out like that with that. So I think that that was a good way to prevent his scrambles. Really slick. But uh, going back 100%. to what Chase said, uh, something that really obviously this is from 2017. Something that really impressed me at uh, 2019 ADCC about JT was. The, your ability to finish takedowns because a lot of guys were getting a single leg, getting a double leg, getting it to the ground, but not getting the two. It seemed like, like you were right. playing ahead of time with your shot to control their hips or whatever, uh, and and put them yeah. on their back and get the two when you get there. Is that something that you really game plan for at ADCC? Hundred and ten percent. You know that's something I worked a lot with my wrestling coach leading up to both ADCC editions that I won was finishing takedowns with control. You know, you see a lot of people get a takedown, they just want to do a big dump or like throw them over. You know, just make a big a big movement where. I'm very precise with uh, with the takedown where when I finish a takedown, I want to stay on the hips. I want to try to land into like the half guard type position. Um, very similar to how MMA fighters want to finish takedowns, right? I remember when I was training a little bit of MMA, one thing I always try to do with takedowns and things like that, try to land in the half guard. So it would be harder for the person to pop, pop back up to the two feet or work their back towards the cage again. So that's something I definitely focused on and worked on was not trying to just, you know, dump the guy over my shoulders and dump them on their head. I was trying to finish takedowns with control where I'll control the hips or landing in a half guard type situation. Barry, you got anything to add about this? I think the curious thing is just on, on just on the wrestling side on JT's like he's, he's shown like a ton of growth over like the last like five years and he's just been dominating in ADCC and he's probably one of the very few guys that have made like transitions from the Gi to Nogi and been able to do both really well. And I think his superior, his wrestling has been superior in a lot of this stuff, but he's able to transform like a bunch of like technical kind of gi things, but kind of hybrid it to like Nogi, which is like super interesting to see in ADCC format, which is a very like wrestling dominant format or even like a leg lock format. So it's cool to see. I just like, I'm a fan. So JT, who is your wrestling coach these days? Uh, his name's Marsh. Uh, he's my strength conditioning coach and my wrestling coach. He's he's a beast. Uh, he he's a he's a smaller guy too. I think he wrestled like 133 or 141 in college. So he's a super technical, um, super technical high level wrestler. He spent some time at the Olympic Training Center himself. So he brings a lot of knowledge and experience on how to train um, and and just the technique part too. He's just a mastermind in that in that department. Very cool. Should moving on to the next clip. Yeah, let's. Uh... Let's move it on. Yeah, JT, if you ever want them when these are playing, if you want them to pause it or rewind it or anything, our producers can hit that for you too. All right, uh, Ricardo, okay. you want to you wanna, uh, introduce the next uh, clip, Ricardo? Yeah, you know, the next clip, it's a little longer. Um, I think it was mostly – I just wanted to hear your kind of take on what you were doing to kind of prevent a lot of the leg entanglements that Gary was trying to do on you because it seemed like you really never get in a spot of danger and it's, you shut down a lot of the attacks – before they start you know gary like you know positioning his legs in positions like you see him inverting and you're just not it looks like you're always staying in this this comfortable distance where you're putting enough pressure you know but not staying close enough where he can bite you you know so can you talk through that a little bit about like how are you able to kind of shut down a lot of their attacks and specifically with like the leg lock guys and you see gary you know constantly inverting and playing around there but talk a little bit about that so my whole goal against, you know, uh, you know, guard players in general is just to keep my hips low and heavy to the ground where I force one of their hips to the ground as well. I don't want to let him stay flat on his back where he can elevate with both legs. My whole idea, if I can bring him to either side of his hip 
and pin that leg down, the one that's closest to the mat. He only has one one leg, one hip to work with. You see, this is a perfect example. I'm doing that right here where I'm just going super heavy to my – it was to my left there, forcing him down to that hip and just, you know, kind of taking away the spacer, not giving him much space. Even here where he's trying to get underneath here, I'm staying super heavy, hips nice and low, working for inside control. That's another thing I try to do here is work inside control. I'm always staying with inside the legs with both arms, uh, legs always inside, always in a combat phase here. Um, like I said, just trying to force him to the side. So right here, he's kind of flat. I'm not liking that, so I reset the position here. Now I start working towards one side where I force one of his hips to be compromised. And now I can start leading to the other side, working for knee cuts and just, you know, just smash passing straight through here. I go for the knee cut. Of course, Gary's, you know, one of the best in the world and he's good at scrambling. But I'm constantly attacking, putting that pressure forward, which not, doesn't give him much opportunity to get underneath me and work attacks of his own. Yes, yeah, so like you, right here, another you, example. Uh-huh. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry to cut you off. Like right here, I'm forcing him heavy on that on that hip, but I'm also attacking the head here as well. So I'm giving him a couple things to worry about all at the same time. Um, his guard, his head. Um, even in positions like this, you know, also studying your opponent helps. I know Gary likes when people spin around to the back so he can roll through for that knee bar, but uh, I'm staying patient here, taking my time. Here I hook the leg. I feel him hook my leg here. Uh, so I was a little patient there. Instead of me jumping to the back, I take my leg right out, but just knowing the opponent helps too. But like I said, I'm just trying to always stay on my toes. Very similar to wrestling, right? Wrestling, you're always, you know, when you're wrestling, you're, you're on your toes so you can drive forward. And that's something that I do really well and try to bring to the jiu-jitsu, to the jiu-jitsu world, always stay on your toes and driving forward. I see you, uh, you're putting your leg between his, you did it a couple times and took it out. Were you baiting him, like trying to force him to roll or? Were you trying to get what kind was, of reaction were you looking for? Yeah, so I was trying to work that darts there, but he was staying super uh, super solid on all four. So I was trying to put my leg there just a little bit like a like a bait. So he would try to roll through, and he, if he were to try to roll through, he would compromise his neck, bend his neck for me. This way I could have locked that darts in. But he, he was smart. He was smart there, and, and he felt the danger of that dart. So he wasn't, he wasn't really trying to roll through at that point. How do you approach like Gary Tonin is such a dangerous guy and he's also so unorthodox. Like uh, obviously he's sort yeah. of one of your rivals, but it's like you're not going to get the similar look from people in the gym like you're going to get with Gary Tonin. How do you approach a match with with Gary when you're going up against him? Um, just always knowing your position, right? And so what do I mean by that? Always knowing where all where all four of your limbs are located, right? Never making a mistake of just kind of flailing around and throwing your limbs anywhere. You got to be very calculated with Gary. And like I said, you have to have body awareness with him. You have to know what your limb, where your limbs are at at all times. Um, you know, that rule is a rule that I follow with everybody, but especially with someone like Gary, who's, you know, very dangerous from all positions. Like you guys are saying, he's, you know, scrambles well. He's very on, you know, um, it's hard to read him, right? It's hard to know what he's about to do because he's just all over the place. That's his game, which makes him so dangerous. But, like I said, knowing where all of my limbs are at, located at all times, so I don't leave any of them hanging out for him to take. Hey JT, I, I want to chime yeah. in here on the on the on the position. It seemed like you know Gary's known for like loading up, like a lot of Donaher guys, and getting under to try and lace the leg right. for like leg entry. But it seemed like on your side, you weren't really too worried about it. And every time he would kind of like uh, get under you, you would kind of swim in and kind of like back into where your legs weren't completely committed 
So uh, do you exactly. feel pretty good about that? Anytime someone's getting under, to kind of like swim back in and not to jeopardize on them tangling up your leg because they got under you? Exactly. I think people make a mistake when they try to kick out right away. Sometimes when you go to kick out right away, that's when the position gets a little bit tighter. They get a good bite on your leg. Um, I always try to get inside control and make sure that my knee line's exposed. And once my knee line's exposed, I can continue swimming inside for inside control. Or once the knee line's exposed, I can also have the option of kicking out at that point. But I always make sure that the lean, my knee's exposed and I have inside control and not panic. You know, I try not to panic, not to uh, freak out there and just, you know, stay aware. Stay aware of the situation. Yeah, because I, I, there was there was probably a, there was a part there um, we passed it already, but there was a part where like both your legs were in almost, and you know most yeah. people's and most when most people get in that spot, um, they kind of freak out a little bit, they roll, they do a bunch of things, but for you, you seem like really composed, and it just seemed like you were just trying to swim your arm in so you're so you could get yeah. your body back in as opposed to just like right. freaking out and spinning out right away. So that was that was exactly. interesting to see like you stay composed in that spot. So hundred percent have to you have to all right uh yeah and great JT, you guys there. do you guys do you guys do you guys train a lot of uh leg entries and stuff like that as you guys get closer to adcc with that rule format or yeah. do you have you just trained so much with leg locks that you feel really good in kind of getting out of them coming up to a tournament both both you know i gotta say i've i've i know leg locks have become more popular over the last couple of years but that's something i've always done since i've started training um, which I'm very happy about. Like, even when I first started training, I remember there was guys who were always going for knee bars and ankle locks back in that time, which was like early 2000s. That's always something I've been um, exposed to and, and learned about from early on in my jiu-jitsu career. And then, of course, leading up to the tournament, I do focus more on the leg locks and things like that. I focus on leg locks, wrestling, and back takes when it comes to tournaments like ADCC. And... Um, you know, I'm also located here on the East Coast, and for some reason, I think the East Coast is more popular with the leg locks now. So I have a lot of students who are pretty, pretty solid in that department. So when they come time to train for for ADCC, they keep me sharp and in, 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 in my defense and my reactions, and even on my attacks too. Um, maybe one day I'll show that to do some leg locks too. We'll see. When, back when you were at uh, the main Atos in San Diego, who were some of the guys, who were some of the leg lockers there? Who would be the guys, if you wanted some, to roll with somebody who you had to defend heel hooks, who were some of the top heel hookers around there, out there? Man, this, there was this guy named Jimmy Frederick. Oh, yeah. He was a, uh, a brown belt, and he he actually fought ADCC, I want to say 2013 in China. I think yeah, that's the ADCC he fought in. Yeah, he fought Bushesha. Yeah, I think he may have fought another one. I'm not really sure, but um, really cool guy. But his man, his he was a bigger guy who can invert and was pretty flexible and had super strong hips. I, he was a he, you know why he had, I remember now he was a if I'm not wrong. He was no, he, was he played like USC water polo. Player. I trained with I trained with yeah I trained with Jimmy before. Yeah, he was like high level water polo like at USC or something. Yes, so his hips were just crazy strong. And he had, he had pretty pretty solid leg locks, man. So he was the one heel hooking everybody at Autos for a little bit. So he was he was one of the good guys to train with and and uh, you know to help you keep you uh, sharp in, in that in that department of the world of, of the of the game. Man, that's uh, yeah, great insight there on all that. Uh, Ricardo, you ready to move on to the next one? Who we, oh, yeah, we got you guys are. 
We got Lepri yeah, next. So, All right, yeah, let's check out this one. <laughs> okay, so obviously we're going to go with Lepri, and and this is a special one for me because I've seen you compete against Lepri, you know, time and time again. <laughs> I mean, I remember running the 2011 trials in Jersey, and you fought Lepri in the finals, and I was like, it was like pins and yeah. needles, like so, you know what I mean? So close, you were so close to getting it, and then when you end up finally beating him back in the day, it just like you're you're you know you went on this upward trajectory. You, you had his number after that, you know, and. Talk a little yeah. bit about um, this match in particular because I believe Lepre had you in the same position earlier on in the match, if I'm not mistaken. And um, just kind of walk through, you know, getting him down and maybe a little bit about your history with Lepre overall. Yeah, so, you know, Lepre's someone who I've been competing against for uh, 10 years, maybe more now. Um, I compete against him a lot. He definitely has most of the victories in our in our battles you know but most of the victories that, he, that he's had um you know all our matches have been pretty close for the most part right they've, they've all always been pretty close down to the wire like you were saying you know that one fight in new jersey at those 80s at the world pro trials um was super close super tight so you know having experience competing against someone like this it's only gonna get you better right so you know, part of my re- part of the reason why I've progressed and, and become the fighter that I am is because of competitors like Lucas Lepre. You know, competing against someone, you know, who's that skilled over the years is only going to force you to get better. And you know, having so many battles against them, you know, squaring up with him in the finals of ADCC, uh, it just felt like another match to me. You know, I didn't make it a big deal in my mind, which I think helped me come out with the victory in this match because it was a long match. I think this match was like what 25, 30 minutes. As we know, you know, it's hard to score in ADCC, especially in the finals. You can't pull guard, and it, it's tough to score. And then after you start sweating, after the first five minutes, it's even harder, you know? It's like playing slip and slide out there while trying to grapple. So coming into this match, I just treated it like any other match, worked hard, and stayed calm. Like, and one, there was one part where I shot a single leg, and, you know, I picked him up over my head, and we kind of went out of bounds. And as we went out of bounds, he spun to my back, and then we restarted with him on my back. And I told myself, you know what, I'm not going to panic or anything like that. I had, uh, you know, Professor Galbao in my corner coaching me, so he gave me some good uh, coaching too. He told me in that situation, hey, stay right there for now, because he, you know, there there is something in the rule where if I would have rolled out, gone to my back, or escaped, or rolled out to my back, he would have gotten the points for a takedown. So. I stayed in turtle for uh, 30 seconds where it kind of reset the position. Then I escaped and kept fighting from there. So having an experienced corner helped me too in that match, especially in that situation. And we kept battling, kept battling. And then um, when I got out to his back, I knew, I knew it was in the bag. You know, I knew, I knew it was, this was my, my championship to take home with me, you know? But like I said, it's always a, a hard fought battle with Lepre and you know, I'm just, um, um, I'm very happy that I was able to walk away with uh, the world title in this meeting that we had in 2017. Do you, uh, do you approach things a lot differently with him uh, as opposed to Nogi compared to Gi? Obviously you fought him a bunch in the Gi. You fought him co- uh, yeah. No- like, how, how do you, uh, like, how do you approach your, uh, your strategy with him differently? Uh, when he doesn't have the gi grips, is it? Uh, do you change things a lot, or? Um, you know what? I try. I I try not to. You know, I feel like my game's pretty solid gi and no gi, and it's pretty similar gi and no gi. Where, 
pretty straightforward. I'm going to try to take you down or sweep you and then pass you and then submit you. So uh, I try not to change much. I still keep the same approach. Um, obviously, with the gi, it's a little bit different with the gi grips, where if he gets his gi grips, he has a little easier time stopping the shot. Um, where without the gi, you know, my I can use my wrestling a little bit more. But I try to, you know, I would say if there was one thing I try to change or focus a little bit more on when we compete with the gi on, it's just grip, grip breaking and grip fighting with him and still trying to set up my takedowns off those grip breaks. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like his passing, like you ended up in a position there when he was sort of starting an east slide where typically in the gi he would yeah. take a collar grip and sort of settle in, and he's really right. patient there. It's sort of a, a different battle with him there in no gi, it definitely seems like. And especially that we're slippery too, you know. It's, yeah, it's yeah. hard for both of us, you know. I mean, especially at that point where what twenty eight minutes into the match, I mean, we're just both dripping and 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 sweating all over the place, and the mats get nice and slick too. So it it's uh, it's a different game, though. That's for sure. It's a different game in that sense where it's harder to uh, slow down the pace and, and and get position just because it's so slippery out there. Less grip, I guess. I'd like to go. Uh, I'd like to see the back take. Can we? Can we? Can we uh, show the back take again, Tyler? Maybe walk us through the back take there near the beginning, if they can find it. Just, just play it, and when we get to it, he can he can talk about it. Yeah, right here. You get to him behind him on the hips. Yep. So I'm weighing super heavy. I have my right forearm across his hip here, staying super heavy, trying to make him uh, lean over to that side, where this way he can't escape or bail out i'm trying to kick his feet out trying to you know loosen up his base here see if i drop him to his butt or down to a knee and i'm just trying to trying to stay heavy here this way he, he doesn't have much movement it's almost like i'm pinning him into into the mat at that certain spot so he doesn't move i'm anchoring him down um let's see my front right form still keeping him heavy over his thigh and hip i have inside control with my right foot here i think at one point yep i throw the hook in here once I throw the hook in here, I like to reach up for for the head and the hip here. But he knew if he if he would have accepted that position, it would have been a score for me. So he had no choice but to turtle. And once he turtled here, um, I told myself I'm not losing this position here. This is this is it. This is mine. So basically, I broke him down to the turtle, or I broke him down where I tried to finish the takedown to his back, and he had to make the choice accept the accept the takedown right there and then. Or turtle, because in ADCC, you won't get points for the takedown if you turtle. So he, he took the gamble, he rolled the dice, and he went to the turtle position. But that's something that I've known for. You know, I believe in my back takes. Um, that's something I drill a lot and train a lot, especially for these tournaments, is back takes and back attacks. So when he went down to the turtle position, uh, I jumped over to the other side, uh, got my seatbelt, threw my left knee in, and just sagged him down, sagged him down and, and threw the hooks in. Locked up a body lock here. I had I wanted to lock the body lock as quickly as possible just because we were so slippery here. He did one little movement, and we were just so slick here. He was able to hit out a little bit, but I was able to hold the position long enough to score my points here. I think I tried to come up to the mountain here, but like I said, it's just so slippery at this point. Um, and, you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a great competitor too. Can't take anything away from him. He doesn't stop. He, he kept trying to push to the end of the match. I think what people don't understand too, JT, is like if they've been watching your career for a long period of time, like yeah. once you get someone to a knee or you get someone to turn on a shoulder, like your back take is probably top five, you know, in in the game as far as like once they once they expose or they turn the shoulder or they get to a knee. So 
like um, thank you. What, like there's very few people yourself Lipena, a few people is like once they get to your back they're in a really really bad spot um so right. on your side like what part what part of your strategy is like hey let me get him to a spot where i can expose that because you're so good at taking the back is that a part of like strategy going in as well force them to a 100. spot where you can jump to the back yeah 100 percent, and that's why i try to combine my my back takes with my takedown game um especially in, in a rule so like adcc like you know you get taken down you give up the points but if you go to turtle, there is no point. So you see a lot of people shoot takedowns and, you know, the person will try to defend by, you know, turtling up. And then they try to, you know, gamble by trying to roll away or, you know, like we saw Gary Tonin do with Wagner Hosha. You know, he kept doing the grandeur roll out of it. So people try to take that take that route. But with someone with someone like me who who practices that, practices that position a lot and who has really good control from there, that's my that's my world. So I try to shoot double legs, single legs, and try to always spin to the back, spin to the back. And um, if they go down the turtle on their own, perfect. If not, you'll see what I did there, where I was trying to break the person's hip down, kick the legs out, throw one hook in, and then just weigh him down. And then once once I get him down to turtle position, it, you know it's game on from there. Yeah. All right, we got uh, three more clips uh, left. Ricardo, you want to uh, introduce the next one? Yeah, so uh, we're going to move on to the last ADCC 2019. This is uh, your match with Ross Nichols. Ross, really yeah. dangerous mission guy. Um, oh, yeah. You know, you're starting off in a half guard here. You ended up passing, get the submission. Uh, talk us through that a little bit, you know, if you remember, you know, the, the position specifically and, you know, kind of how you went through there. Yeah. Um, Ross, Ross is someone that I think a lot of people don't know unless they're from the UK, right? Um, but th- he's someone I've, I've, I've known for a while because he's actually also sponsored by Tatami. So we've done photo shoots together. We've hung out together in the UK when I go out there and visit. So I knew he's a top-notch competitor and he's a killer. But he, his guard is really good. He's got flexible hips. So, you know, um, I was just trying to put pressure forward the whole time. He did a really good job of holding me off. But eventually towards the end, I think my my – non-stop forward pressure kind of weighed him down, broke him down a little bit. I was able to secure a position here and get the submission. Actually, I wasn't sure if he tapped or the time ran out, to be honest with you. I think the time ran out, I'm not sure, but, I mean, the arm was in. I, I was, you know, I was confident in that arm lock. But, like I said, I just, if you guys watched that match, it was the first match, too. Started off a little slow, and then I started picking up the pace, picking up the pace until I kind of just wore him down. And, and uh, you know, once I get someone a half-guard smash here, I feel super confident. I have, um, I believe I have good pressure on top, good control on top, which is, which is one of the my main recipes for my success in, in ADCC. Um, it's just that top control. But I feel real good here. Again, I'm trying to force my hips down to the mat, giving him no space here, mean cross faces, and always trying to windshield wipe out through that half guard. And while I'm doing that, always staying aware of that underhook. I have that underhook with my where do I come back with my right arm? Yep. Get that underhook, and now I pass off here. Actually, that's an attack, so I'm going to call the tricep lock from here. A lot of people don't know it, but I attack the tricep lock where I'm putting a lot of pressure right above his his left elbow right now, which hurts, um, but also makes it easier for me to pass. I was able to kick my hips out and then spin around for that arm lock right there. Yeah, uh, I love that. Go ahead, Bear. Keep on going, Mike. You go. You go. You All go. right. Yeah, I love that arm lock. I mean, I'm a huge fan of that arm lock, uh, especially no gi. Uh, when once you get the side control, oh, yeah. there's not as many options that yeah. get getting the underhook and spinning around. But it seems like uh, I did a points analysis after ADCC, and it seems like 
getting to half guard is that's the way to pass in ADCC. Getting to half guard and pinning people yeah. down is is that's the go to pass at ADCC. Would you agree? I totally agree, man. Hundred and ten percent. I mean, it's just it's the best control there is. It's hard for someone to pop back up to their two feet. You know, very similar to like the MMA. I remember there was one time I was training MMA. And I passed somebody's guard to side control, and the coach told me, hey, don't do that. Stay in half guard. When you when you hold somebody from half guard, they can't pop up to their two feet and escape. Stay in half guard and bring down punches and elbows. Obviously, in ADCC, I can't punch and throw elbows, but I can pass, though. You know, So I always try to look for the half guard smash and pass from there. Not to derail the conversation, but JT, how long were you looking at MMA for? Do you have any fights? I didn't really know that you did any of that. No, I don't have any fights, but I was – you know, I've trained – MMA for a little bit, you know, I wouldn't say much. I was, it was more so me helping out MMA fighters for their, for their fights. I was part of a Dominic Cruz fight camp once. I was there for a few weeks out in San Diego. Uh, this is before I, I moved out to San Diego. Um, so I had some experience, you know, training and, and seeing the work they put into, you know, leading up to an MMA fight. Actually, I think I helped Dominic Cruz out when he was, I think he was defending his title against Uriah Faber in the UFC, something like that. It was, probably 2013 somewhere around that time um so it was quite a bit ago but when i trained jiu-jitsu it was for the simple reason of me fighting mma i wanted to fight mma in the beginning but the deeper i got into jiu-jitsu the more i fell in love with jiu-jitsu itself and i said you know what i'm just gonna do jiu-jitsu i really like jiu-jitsu but i've had some uh you know i've had some uh people in my in my corner who have always told me hey man you should fight mma but you know i just I went the jiu-jitsu route instead. Bear, I cut you off uh, back before a little bit ago. What was your question going to be? Sorry. No, just uh, I was I was really curious on the, on JT's JT's point. Like you were saying, Mike, uh, when when JT gets to the half guard and also half guard is a super high percentage pass from Nogi. Um, but it seems like I wanted to check with JT how much he's looking for that underhook and. And once he gets that underhook, is that kind of like the beginning of everything as opposed to like, it didn't seem like he was like, it seems like the underhook nowadays more than every, nowadays more than uh, before is once he secures the underhook, then the pass fully completes and then he's progressing. Just as long as he has the underhook, he, he controls everything. So. Yeah, 100%, man. I think, you know, what I try to do is actually work my way up so when i'm looking to get to the half guard and half guard smash i'm looking to pass i'm focusing on the hips and i try to hug the hips first with my arm that eventually will become the underhook so once i get the hips controlled i look to shoot the underhook at that point and once i shoot the underhook um i use it to pass i double up a lot i'll use the underhook to help me pull the person in closer to me and while i'm using that i'm also looking for chin straps and cross faces so this way they have the opponent underneath me has a few things to worry about. They have their hips heavy with my hips on top of them. Then I'm pulling them by the underhook, and I'm also looking with, with this hand, the free hand, chin straps and cross faces. So there's about three things going on for them, which you know helps me dominate on top. They'll give me an opening, whether it be a guillotine for a chin strap or an arm lock more, or just let me pass there at that point. I think it was like like JT said it like uh, like said it like. It, 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 he broke it down pretty well, but like the way, a traditional way of thinking of the underhook, the way we we were taught probably ten years ago is you underhook first, and then you progress. Um, but it seems yeah. like the new way of passing is working to different spots to expose your hips and to isolate hips. Then at the very end, then work the underhook and then completely expose and pass, and then they're kind of done, which you basically did in the video, which is super interesting. Yeah, thank you. 
Alright, so our next video, before we before we queue it up, I want to ask a question for you, because this next one is you and DJ. You and DJ trained together for how long? Five years. Five years. Uh, what was it? What was your guys' relationship like when you guys trained together? Were you guys like training a lot? Uh, who was getting? Was he getting yeah. the better of you? Were you getting like how was it? So we trained together for five years, and within those five years, I saw DJ go from white belt to black belt. I was already a black belt. Um, so it was, we had a really great relationship. We we're really good friends. We still are good friends. Um, but definitely, while we were training together, I was definitely getting the better of it. Yeah. Just because when, I, when we first started training, he was only a white belt. Um, I would say around purple belt, when he got his purple belt, was when he started giving me a really hard time. And then by the time he was brown belt, uh, we were you know, we're, we were having really good training sessions with one another. Um, I mean, DJ is, you know, he's tough, man. He's tough. It's hard to Nothing score on, I right? Say about him. Super hard to score on him. He's super short and stocky. Um and he he fights hard, man. That's something that I admire actually about DJ's that his his will to win, man. He when he competes, he's a competitor. He's a great competitor because he he brings the he brings the fight, man. He brings the heat. He comes forward, doesn't stop moving, and he's he's out there trying to win. He's trying to win. He's not trying to tie you up or trying to score on you in the last second. He's trying to beat you up, and that's something that we both do, and that's something that we've been taught to do. And you know, during our time training together to always push forward and go for the kill so uh you know we're we're, we're, we're buddies so we're good friends but the, the two three days actually when we walked out to the mat when you guys were announcing the brackets and we saw that we were a potential second round our friendship kind of took a pause there for for a few hours <laughs> i'll probably see you tomorrow kind of thing but afterwards you know we're cool you know i still talk to him he's you know from what i know he's doing pretty well out there in thailand he's enjoying himself out in thailand at the end He's a, a head jiu-jitsu coach out there in an MMA camp. So, but yeah, he's a he's a good friend of mine. But I knew when we got matched up, it was going to be a war, man. Because yeah. just just going back to the time we trained together, I know his mindset. He knows my mindset, and I know his game, and he knows my game too. So I was like, you know what? Let's let's, let's get after it. Let's do it. What was your so, uh, game plan going into it? Because I mean, DJ to me seems like somebody who's sort of tailor made for ADCC rules. He's got a good good stand up game. He's hard to sweep yep. if he gets on top. Like if he gets the takedown on you here, like he's gonna he's gonna be a very hard to, to beat. What are you thinking going into this match? I gotta take this guy down. I, I gotta put this guy on his back. And you know, DJ strong suit is being on top. You know, takedowns and being on top. And I figured if I if I take him out of his element and put him on his back, then the match is mine. Um, I had a plan, a plan B where if I couldn't hit the takedown, I was ready to play guard and play my half guard game against him. My half guard system that I like to do, like you guys still do, like how I do on, on Celso. Um, but you know, uh, I'm confident in my takedowns. Right you know, I feel like right I'm a there, great beautiful. Yeah, I feel like I'm a great wrestler. And hey, Tyler, uh, can you go back and play that takedown again? A little bit further back. There we go. All right. So arm drag, inside leg trip. Bam. Yep, there it is. Yep. So, GT, I got two questions for you. Um, this was the first time you guys actually competed since you you know stopped training together, correct? Uh, we Yes, we competed once before this at a New York Open, and okay. then this was the second time. But this okay. is the first and time we competed in Nogi. It was that, like, for some reason, I could swear – he, either he said it or he told some, somebody at Flow that he knew that if you were going to hit that technique, 
you know, you were going to score. Is that something that you did, you know, on a, uh, previously you were training with them that you felt confident or tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So, uh, DJ was definitely one of the better wrestlers when, in, in the room when we were training together. And I've been someone who's always loved wrestling. So whenever I would train with DJ, I will always make it a point to wrestle with him and, and improve my wrestling too. You know, I, I, you know, I always told myself, if you have somebody who's good at something, try to go toe to toe with them. And that's something that they're good at. This way you improve, you know, your, your game, whatever it may be that you're trying to improve. So I always use DJ as a good training partner for takedowns in the room when we were training together. So I was confident in my wrestling with him. Of course, you know, we would take each other down. You know, he would take me down. I would take him down. So I knew it was a battle of takedowns. I knew if he took me down, it was going to be tough to score on him. But like I said, you know, right for here. these big tournaments you like this, confidence is huge. Yeah, I got the half guard here. It took my time. And actually, this is pretty interesting here because I'm here. I'm trying to pass. And DJ does a good job of regaining guard and getting underhooks and stuff like that. But it's about, you know, keeping that underhook, like Bear was saying. Keep that underhook. Make sure your position is tight and is correct before you move on. So I was going here. Hey. Go back to half guard here. What's up, Bear? No, can you rewind that back in? Because I think J- it, he's doing it now, but go back in to right before he passed. Yeah, yeah. JT, you do, you do something that, that I've been watching a lot of in just in general, but we're talking about that underhook. But you do a really yeah. good job right there where you're wedging on your foot. And a lot of yes. people don't use that wedge and the foot along with the underhook to where they're able to pivot yes. and get past that 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 um that leg. So do you use that right. wedge where you put the foot in a bunch with the underhook to kind of lift your hips to the sky to kind of pass? All, all the time, man. All the time. I think it's such a great tool to use when, when it comes to passing from half. Um, I use it all the time. It's one of my favorite ways to pass from the half guard smash. You're going side to side from okay. there a lot too. That one right there, right there. So that wedge right there and that foot, like not many people pass like that. They don't use that wedge a lot, but then it seems like you use the underhook and that wedge on the foot. And then once you're ready, you explode, you explode, uh, you explode the hip up to the sky. And then at that point he can't, he can't do anything. Yes, exactly. And my shoulder pressure is playing a big role here too. I'm keeping my shoulder pressure in tight where he's just flat. I'm keeping his shoulders pinned against the mat. So every time I keep passing, even though he's recovering, he's using a lot of energy to recover here because his back is flat against the mat. So he's, you know, relying on moving his legs and trying to push me off. But um, yeah, shoulder pressure and the underhook positioning and using that foot inside his knee to help me pass, they're, they're a deadly combination there. And it's just, just it's hard for the personal bottom to keep up. Eventually, you're going to gain position there if you're patient enough and, and, and know your position enough. And that's exactly what I did here. It led me to the back take. He had no option but to turn away because he knew the pass was coming. He couldn't couldn't stop it so he had to roll the dice and turn away which is again you know a big a big thing in adcc i always tell my students when we train for adcc and adcc trials is get ready to train back takes because people expose their back all the time just because it's an easy way to avoid points but if you know how how to uh hold position and and gain position you know you're going to do well in that rule set and, and and you know when people expose their backs and turn away you'll be you'll be ready for that Which, uh, all right, uh, Ricardo, you want to move on to the last one, to the ADCC final? You got anything else you want to uh, yeah. cover here? No, I think we can move on. I know we're running short on time. And, you know, no, we got JT time. For doing this. We're totally geeking out right now. The nerds JT, how much time do you have, by the way? Everyone's going crazy here. Everyone's I, loving this. Thank you, JT. I have, I have about another another week. <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I have nothing to do, guys. I did, I, all I, right, I, all right. 
Didn't know if you had okay, a, like a Madden go. game you had to get to or something. But uh, oh no, it's on pause. It's on pause right now. I'm good. All right, all right, uh, okay, Ricardo, so, lead us into this final here. Yeah, you know this is a, it's another kind of like an extended clip here, but it's basically the match with with Wagner. And I remember commentating this, and you know you see Wagner stuffing that left hand. He was in your face and your shoulder constantly. And the thing that stuck out on me was like you didn't flinch. You seemed unfazed. You seemed exactly. laser focused. And it didn't bother you. You just kind of stuck to the game plan, executed, and eventually got the win with the back take at the end. Um, talk yep. about, you know, a little bit about your match with Wagner. And was it – do you fought him at Fight to Win? Was it before this or after this? I forget. It was right before, we right? Fought, we fought two months before the tournament. We fought at the end of yeah, July. That's right. uh, I remember that. Hey, before okay. we go into that, I want to add to that. I feel like that's how JT gets Wagner is JT is like the only guy who doesn't let Wagner get in his head. Like Wagner goes out there, throws that little jab and pushes him around and stuff. And you see him frustrate people. It, 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 it's for real. Yeah. Like he, he gets in people's head. But JT, you really just stay focused and just don't let that bother you, huh? Yeah, stay focused, man. Um, you know, it all goes back to my training, man. I, I trained so hard and I put myself in such uncomfortable positions when I train that when someone's trying to push my, you know, jab my head and jab my throat, and uh, and talk to me during a match. It, it doesn't bother me. I'm just too, I'm too focused at that point, and no, I won't let any of that um, derail derail my my game or my mindset during a match. I, I'm I'm focused out there, laser sharp focus. What kind of stuff and, uh, is he saying to you? Yeah, I was just gonna ask that. I know Rotolo was saying when Rotolo fought him, he was he was saying uh, Vector was like, "Oh man, you don't want to go for that. You don't want to do that." He kept he kept telling me, "You're too slow." Um, <laughs> he goes, "You're too slow." He goes, "This is my time." Uh, he kept, he kept, he said a few other things that uh, I, I won't put out there, but for the most part, he kept saying. I was, <laughs> I was too slow, and this it was it was his time. Which hey, you know, if that's how he fires himself up, that's fine. But um, it, it it won't bother me. You know, it won't bother me. I just a lot of people always tell me, man, how do how do you not swing back on him? How do you not want to throw a punch back at him? I'm like, that's exactly what he wants you to do. It's exactly yeah, that's what how he you wants lose. Exactly, yeah, that's how you lose. And yeah. um, I I've seen matches of him where he's doing that, and then the person will swing back, and as they go to swing back, he'll drop down for a double leg and take him down. So or kick you in the back. Um, yeah. <laughs> or, 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 that. <laughs> or that, exactly. But I, you know, I try to stay focused here. Um, didn't let it bother me. And I stay I stayed in the I stayed composed. You know, I fought him two week, uh two months prior at Fight to Win. And when I took the match, he was on a tear at that point. He was on a rampage. He he was probably the most active competitor, no gi competitor from the seventy seven kilo division after the Finland edition you know, after ADC 2017 he was probably the only one who kept competing um in Nogi as much as he you know he, he competed more than anybody else did out of that division and he was on a pretty good tear where he beat he beat a lot of good people so when I took the the super fight I think I was the underdog in that super fight so a lot of people you know I don't I don't really engage too much on, online on social media but I do read comments and stuff like that so I was reading a lot of comments like, oh, Wagner's going to smash and this and that, this and that, which is fine. You know, it's, it's good that he has people out there who, who are his fans and, and believe in him. But, um, you know, I, I had to remind people why I was the ADCC champion in 2017. Um, and I went out there and I competed against him. And I, you know, I handled him pretty, pretty, pretty well. I took him down, got him the half guard pass. 
uh, worked towards his back, scrambled out, and then the match ended. So when we came into this edition, um, in this final, I knew what I had to do. I knew he was going to be tougher um, just because I'm sure he was going to be better prepared for me. But stuck to my game plan, played it cool. Like, I, I you know, I've helped, being in the finals in 2017 definitely helped me with this one, too, just the experience alone. Um it's a long match, you know. You can't yeah. you can't go too crazy unless you see an opening. But usually, when you get to the finals, both guys are super skilled, so there's not too many mistakes or openings being made or created. So I had to kind of sit back and, and wait for my opportunity to attack. And you know, when I saw my opportunity to attack, I took it. Um, it was, I believe it was off a single leg, and you know, shooting a single leg is pretty risky on Wagner because he yeah, has a nasty more trap. Yeah, yeah, but if you guys, if you guys, when we see the clip here, when I shot my single leg here, that I knew beautiful. right away to pop my head out. It's funny that he stopped for an eye poke because he kept doing it to me all match, but <laughs> I kept going. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm ex- uh, How far away from are we from that uh, single leg to Kamora trap? Because that was a beautiful sequence that won you this ADCC title. Are we almost yeah, there? Yeah. I think it was at the end of the overtime, first overtime. I want to say it was at the end of the first overtime. Hey, we could fast forward a little bit because I want to get to that. That was just uh, – I, I believe I talked with you after the match and you said that that was something that you had been planning for from your camp, right? All right, here you're on the back. Yeah. So it'll be a little, little bit before this. All right. Should be – go for the single. So you I go shoot Kimura the single trap. here and he goes for it and I pop the head out right away. And when you pop the head out from that Kamora trap, you're not stuck underneath the person. So I was able to you know, use my left knee actually to pull my left arm out exposing my elbow and take his back here and actually when he's rolling away here at one point uh let's see if we see it here there was at one point where i almost felt like he tried to spike me on my head right here <laughs> boom so a lot of people didn't catch that but i'm like man this guy this guy almost knocked me out from here you know thank god i i, I tucked my chin and went with it but i knew when he went to you know spike me there at that point i knew I had to be careful on the back take because I thought back to Rico Rodriguez and Marcelo Garcia. Remember when he jumped and uh, landed on Marcelo? So at one point when I got on the back, he stood straight up. And in the rules, it says if you go for a submission, he can slam out of it. So I knew once he stood up with me on the back, I knew he wanted me to go for that rear naked choke so he could maybe try to slam me, knock uh-huh. me out, or I don't do something. So um, if you guys – here I'm trying to go for the choke. I'm trying to hand fight with him. Um, he's doing a good job of defending. Obviously, I don't want to lose position either. But there's a one point where he tries to stand up. And when he stood up, I said, you know what? I'm not going to risk it. This guy already tried to knock me out when we were rolling on the initial back take. So I kind of took my time and waited for him to come back down to the mat. I had never considered that yet because if you're on the back, he can't jump up and slam you if you're just on the back. But if you go for the choke, it's a submission. He can slam out of a submission now. Exactly. So I knew that already. And that's that's where experience kicks in, knowing the rules and knowing, you know, just knowing the rules helps a lot. So we're here. We're trying to fight for the choke. He's doing a good job of defending. And then at one point, he just starts building up, like picking me up. And I knew I knew a power bomb was coming if I went for that <laughs> naked choke. Uh, okay, uh, Tyler, can we go back to uh, before the back take, before he shoots the single leg a little bit? Because that was a, uh, just a beautiful sequence there. JT, I remember talking with you after uh, – the tournament. Pause it real quick, Tyler. Uh, he's. Uh, you said that you sort of planned for this, right? Like you, you knew he had yes. a good Kamara trap, and you were thinking going into the yep. match that uh, this would be a setup that might be available. Yeah, because you know what, I like shooting double legs, and I like my arm drag double leg. But he does a good job of 
you know, using his length. So he was staying far back and just jabbing me, jabbing me with his with his uh, right or left hand. I can't remember which one right now. But he kept jabbing me in the throat and the head. So he he was doing it on purpose to keep that distance, which was smart on his hand. He on his end, he didn't want me to come in for double leg or my arm drag double leg that I do really well. So I knew that single leg had to be the one that would work on him. I tried earlier in the match an ankle pick, the same one I did to Gary in 2017, but he did a good job of defending that. And so I knew the single leg had to be the the takedown to win the match. But I knew once I shot that single leg, I had to pop my head out. Because when you go for the Kimura trap, you, you use your chest over the top of the person's shoulders and back to kind of pin them down as you lock in that Kimura tight. So once I shot that single leg, sure enough, like, like clockwork, he went for that Kimura and then boom, I just ducked the head out and had a clear passageway to the back. But before I went for the back there, I used my knee on that same side to push down his arm to pull my elbow out and expose it out from the Kimura trap. The same way you would uh, clear your knee line from someone's, you know, leg lock entry, you know, to make sure that your limb is safe. So when he went for that Kimura, I exposed my elbow and I proceeded forward with the back take there. Let's go ahead and uh, run that clip and watch that in action. There. Yeah, beautiful. Left right here, you're saying you're, you're too slow, too slow, too slow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. So I pop my head out here. Ooh. Now I oh, use my nice. left knee there on his arm to push and pull my elbow out. Nice. Yep. How satisfying is it to, to have that in your mind ahead of a tournament and have it play out exactly like expected and like the biggest moment of the tournament? <laughs> it's great, man. I mean, I always say that you're, you're, the way you prepare and train and, and study for a tournament is where your confidence comes from. So I was pretty confident in this match because I knew what I had to do to get the victory, and it played out perfectly. Shout out to another ADCC uh, 2019 champion, Augusto Tanquino, in the comments right now. Tanquino is, uh, is watching us right now, watching the breakdown. He says, he says ADCC 2021 is going to be for the lightweights. So I don't know. What yeah, yeah, there, but... yeah, it'd be cool. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, We're talking a little bit. Hopefully we get something going. Yeah. Oh, really? All right. Interesting. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We'll see. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll see. All right. We're done with clips now. Uh, Ricardo, you want to go into your uh, your ear oh, pick yeah, story? Hold on. hold on a sec. So, right. you know, the match with Wagner. Rapping, and all everybody jo- hang out. <laughs> okay. Hold on a sec. So all jokes aside, Wagner is the man. He's a tough guy. He's been, you know, winning yeah. the trials year after year. And for me, that match was so special because the first time I met both of you, was at the 2010 trials. And I think you were yep. in the second or third round. And I remember seeing you fighting in the trials in 2010. And it was in Jersey. And someone kept, you already had a little bit of cauliflower and someone kept clubbing your ear, clubbing your ear, clubbing your ear. Yep. You won the match. Yep. And then you were supposed to fight in Wagner in the semis. And then this happened. Can yeah. you show the picture? Yeah. Let's do it. Tyler, we got that picture uh, pulled up. The ear pick. There it right. is. Oh. So I remember that thing, <laughs> that thing blew up, and uh, you know we brought you in the back. We were all trying to drain it. We were trying to we were trying yeah. to come up with ways to make the match go on. And then medic was there and was like, "Man, if if you know he gets clubbed again, that's gonna pop his eardrum." And you know yeah. at that point they said you couldn't continue. So you know talk a little bit about that and how sweet it was to kind of eventually get the matches with Wagner. <laughs> And in the finals of ADCC, look how things have kind of gone full circle. Pretty crazy, right? So, yeah, so I was fighting in ADCC trials in Jersey. Uh, I remember 
it was you know tough trials tough trials i fought gary tony first round at the trials actually so it's yep. you know uh it was a tough bracket i was wor- working my way through it and then i won my third match and i, I forget the guy's name i want to say it's like peter nunez or something like that i could be totally wrong though but it was something like that and i, I think he was a I could be totally wrong, but I want to say he was like a division two or division three, like national champion wrestling. Right. So he was a solid wrestler too. And we're, we're out there battling. And I remember he kept clubbing me so hard, but his clubs, which I'm used to, you know, I, I, I've wrestled for years at this point, but when he was clubbing me, he kept hitting me with his form, like right on the side of my head, like super hard, man. I was like, man, this, what the hell is this guy's problem? So he kept just clubbing me, clubbing me, clubbing me. I remember going into the tournament with a little bit of cauliflower, and every time he hit me, I would just feel like the, the the warmth, and I started feeling my ear just dangling, dangling, and I was able to take him down, boom, win the match. So I won the match, and I remember I, when I walked off the mat, you know, my corner, my teammates, my coaches were congratulating me, but when they were congratulating me, they weren't making eye contact. They kept staring at my ear. <laughs> I remember just seeing their eyes go straight to my ear, and they're like, I don't know, man. That ear looks pretty crazy. So, like, the doctor who was at the venue that day came over, and he was like, man, we got to we gotta take care of that ear, or I can't let you compete. And I was like, come on, man. It's freaking cauliflower ear. I mean, are you serious? And it wasn't until I looked in the mirror that I was like, oh, man, that's that's not good. You know, and the problem was, like, I, it wasn't like it was just cauliflower here in the ear. It started. I had like a bubble, like right by my, my, you know, my, my hairline, my sideburns, right there. Like you guys can kind of see it in that picture where that blood started going past the ear. It looked like, so that's why the doctor was super concerned. And uh, we tried to drain it in the back, and somehow we couldn't get any blood out of it. It was the craziest thing. Uh, it was a huge nugget of just blood and and just you know, cauliflower sauce. And I was like, cauliflower there's nothing sauce. you guys can take out. And they're like, we could, we can't take anything out. You gotta go to the emergency room. And I was like, I, you know, I said, let me tape it up. Let me wear headgear. Cause I was supposed to fight Wagner in the semifinals. And they're and the doctor's like, no man, I can't let you, you got to go to the emergency room. And I remember just being so disappointed, like heartbroken, heartbroken, man. Like it's so, you know, especially at that point it was, you know, I was a brand new black belt. Um, it's a dream of mine to win the trials and, you know, punch my ticket to ADCC. Uh, you know, at that point, that was, like, I think, the only tournament, you know, not, no, I think World Pro was around that time too, but it was like one of the few tournaments where, you know, they'll pay the athletes and fly them out and put them up in hotels. So it was like a dream of mine to go to this big tournament. You know, I've always seen this tournament as a kid, as a white belt, and it was just taken away from me because of my cauliflower year. And I was just heartbroken. But, um, you know, in 2000, 2010, when they did have the ADCC, I think someone, somebody dropped out or somebody got injured and the, you know, they liked my performance at ADCC. So they, they asked me to be a replacement. So I got my, my shot at ADCC and that's how it all started for me was, you know, getting cauliflower at the trials and then, you know, being a last minute replacement in the, in the, in the tournament following the trials. I got a uh, question from a fan here for you, from a guy Andre. I'm going to butcher yeah. this last name. Andre Harut Union. He wants to go. He wants to know how hard do you train in the off season when you're not training for ADCC, C or Worlds or whatever. How hard do you normally train in the off season? I'm still pretty. I'm still training pretty hard. Uh, definitely not as hard as I would when I 
I'm going to have for ADCC or Worlds or, you know, Pan Ams or something of that sort or a big super fight because uh, you can't, right? You can't train at a super high level all year round because you'll break down, get sick or, you know, get injured. So, it, you know, it goes up and down for me, but I, I still keep a steady pace of hard work. Uh, you know, during the off season, I'm still still training, still rolling, uh, but the sparring sessions are maybe not as so intense. Uh, maybe less sparring, more drilling in the off season, more more working technique and figure out new positions. Um, so a little easier on the body. Oh, oh we lost JT. Oh, JT. Oh, so, oh, there he is. Back. Right. I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> so, uh, you know, in the off season, it's you know more focused on technique and developing new positions, and even for the strength conditioning side. Um, I'm tending, I tend to lift heavier in the off season, build more strength, build muscle. And then during the, during the season is a lot more circuits, running cardio based workouts, which I think sometimes are, are harder than just lifting heavy, but yeah, still training pretty hard, but of course not as hard as I would just focusing more on technique. Got another, uh, good question here. Another old teammate coming back here. What, this is from Matthew Zamora. What did you take uh, from training with Mike Fowler for a couple of years? Any, any lessons or memories that stand out? Yeah, Mike Fowler was some. He was one of the first black belts I trained with who had really good control. He was someone that if you let him in on a deep knee cut or let you get let him get to half guard smash or the mount, it was hard to move him. And I never really felt something like that up until that point. And I knew that's something I had to work. I had to work that sense of control. Like once you get to a dominant position, not letting anyone move or go or, or, or you know, scramble out. And that's something that stuck out to me. And, you know, Mike Fowler has a huge uh, impact on my game. Like I said, he was he was the first, one of the first to really show me that sense of pressure, you know, how to really hold somebody down and pin them down. He had, he had unbelievable pressure on top. Yeah, a lot of guys um, may not remember Mike Fowler was – you know, one of the best American guys after BJ Penn to oh, yeah. kind of go out compete internationally. And I still remember yep. in 2007 ADCC beat Henzo, beat Nelson yeah. Montero, I think, beat Saulo, I'm pretty sure, the same day. And yep. then, you know, ended wow. up losing to Galvao, I believe, um, or Mark yeah. Bocek was one of the two. But, man, you know, that, that year Fowler just shocked the world. Every ADCC, somebody world. does that, and, and that was, you know yeah. – that was like everyone was just like, "What the hell?" You know, Mike Fowler's man. He's an OG to the truest form. You know, but OG like man, Bears, OG. Not like Bears. <laughs> you know. Shout out to uh, Mikey Musumeci's in the comments. He says you're awesome, JT. Mikey's a fan of you. Uh, Mikey's awesome too. I'm a big fan of his too. Yeah. So uh, hey, I got a question for I got a question for JT. Yeah. Yeah. From a from an from an old guy, um, JT the. Um, just that perspective of like, I don't think a lot of people know that like you're probably one of like the, like the second generation of like younger jujitsu athletes saying started from like your teenage years or even younger. Like you're kind of like yeah. that second wave of it. The first wave was kind of like Glover, Cooper, Chris Morarji, yep. and like those guys. Yep. And then you were like the second phase of it, which was like you, Grippo, Mikey, Ian McPherson, and like that next wave of American grapplers. But like now right. we're in kind of like that third phase of it, which is kind of like the Rutulos and whoever those American grapplers are that are going to be that next generation that started either when they were like five or started when they've like, when they're like 12 or 13. So like, right, how do you right. see that? How do you see the evolution of like the, the, cause 
you know, for 20 years, 30 years, Brazilians have just dominated it because you have people in Manaus training since they're like six, you know, um, yeah. and all over parts of Brazil. But now um, there's people in Canada, Europe, and specifically America is like the next part that Brazil became, I mean, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu became popular. So how do you see the Americans being on that next wave of being able to compete on an international level with, um, you know, with, with the best in the world? You know, let's just use Brazil because Brazil basically dominated for, and they still dominate. Uh, till, right. How do, what's, your, what's your thought on it? Man, it's only getting better and better. The Americans are only getting better. Um, Jiu-Jitsu worldwide is only improving. And, and the next generation is, uh, you know, they, they have, they have, the previous generations to learn from like you're saying like you know i was the second wave the first wave like you know the, these new waves are only going to have more people to learn from higher level people to learn from i wish when i was you know 15 years old i had someone like jt myself to learn from right um so now these this new wave they have us to to pick our brains and learn from our mistakes and just improve on so i think the next wave is going to be even bigger and better more technical um, they're going to have better training methods just because we're, we're improving year by year. Um, not only just on technique, but on how to train as well, right? That's a big part. Like, how do you train? How do you properly train and prepare yourself for a big tournament and things like that and, and maintain a, a, a solid physical, um, uh, you know, physical shape all year round. So, um, it's only going to get better and better. And I'm super excited actually for the new generation because now as a fan, uh, I'm pumped and I'm pumped to be a part of it. Because, you know, I have some young guys in my academy. I have, uh, you know, I have this one kid. Uh, we call him the Young Law. The Young Law. He's a 15-year-old blue belt. Uh, he, he, he's going to, I think he's going to shock a lot of people in the next coming years. And, you know, even I have kids younger than him in my kids' program who are just absolute animals. So uh, I'm excited for the next wave. And I'm excited to be a part of it. Uh, you know, it's, you know. Like a coach, I want to, I want to, I want to help these this next generation. I want to help them on their journey, and if there's anything I can do to help their journey uh, a lot easier and better, uh, I'm here for them. What's the young law's real name? Lawrence. Lawrence. Don't say his uh, name. Don't say his name. We're gonna ask him yeah, on the I'm side. Not... You, you want him to get hit up on the DMs? Like me and JT are gonna yeah. talk about young Lawrence on the side. Don't be putting him on, <laughs> yeah, yeah, on notice exactly. to the just, whole just... the whole jujitsu world. <laughs> You guys crazy? I'll, I'll release him to the whole world pretty soon when, he, right. when he's ready. When he's ready, but uh, you know, at least a young lawn, everybody. <laughs> exactly, he's coming soon. Uh, JT, something I'd be interested in, uh, just like when I was coming up, uh, your guys' squad at Lloyd was like that was the thing. Like I really was into yeah. like what was going on. What what was the training like there? I mean, you guys had a really special thing going there for a little while with oh, uh, yeah. a killer crew. What was it like over there? What was the training and and all that like with you guys? What was the atmosphere Man, like? It was amazing. It was great. I remember we all used to live in the fighter house together. We were all accountable for one another. So if there was one person being lazy, you know, there was ten of us to pick that one person up. Like, hey, uh, let's 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 get it going. We got to go work out and train. We got we got tournaments to win. So it was really cool environment, man. In that sense, um, and then the and the training was just freaking tough, man. Super tough, and especially on me, uh, I was one of the higher belts at that time. Like I spoke earlier. Um, you know, two of my best training partners while I was there was DJ and Keenan. And there was a certain point where both of them were purple belts and I was a black belt already. And I used to, I was able to, I used to be able to, uh, 
you know, handled them pretty easily. It was just a straight one-on-one roll for, for a little bit, until, obviously, until, the, until they got better. So what we used to do is have me on the Aerodyne bike doing sprints. Ah, like, it would be like 20, like 10 rounds of 20-second goes, right? Then after I would do those sprints, I would jump on the mat with DJ and do like a five-minute roll. Boom. And then go back on the Aerodyne bike. Bah, 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 another 10 rounds of 20-second goes. And then jump back on the mat. And then my next round would be Keenan. So we used to do training sessions like that where they would just kill me physically. And but I got to say, though, those those types, those uh, kind of training sessions built me up mentally because they just broke me down physically where it was almost impossible at a certain point to fight back just because I was so exhausted and broken down that the mental, the mental game was built, right? I had a, I had um, a strong mind and I think that was part of the training. The training was to see who would break and who wouldn't break. And I got to say, I, I, I didn't break. I would just keep fighting no matter what. And that's something that I carry with to me to this day. Like you guys saw in the finals with Wagner. Wagner was talking, slapping me in the head, but it just doesn't bother me. I've been I've been in much worse situations. Imagine doing Airdyne sprint sprints and then have Keenan and DJ uh, rolling with you back to back. That's brutal, man. But uh, training was hard, man. Training was tough. Um, environment was great. We had a great team environment. Um, I have I have. Uh, you know, I, I still have vivid memories of us pushing one another and and you know helping us helping one another just improve. It was it was a really it was really cool. It was really cool. I got a fan here is asking, was Ryan? Did you train with Ryan Hall there at all, or was that before your time? I trained with Ryan Hall once, once, and shortly after I moved down, he had left and started doing his own thing. So I only got to train train with him once, unfortunately. At what point did Keenan's guard start becoming really annoying for you? Because it had to have gone from a point where you were like beating up to, on him to like all of a sudden it's like, oh man, this is a pain in the ass passing this guy's guard. I w- his guard was always a pain in the ass. His guard was always really good, man, super good. But it wasn't until like purple belt that he started developing like the lapel game to kind of you know slow me down from passing and 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 forcing him to half guard. And then once he started playing with the lapels, I mean, for a while I was lost because. Up until that point, I've never experienced that, right? I was like, man, what, what, what is this? I used to get upset at him, like, bro, what is this crap? Like, what are you doing, man? Like, let's, like, stop. Let me go and let's, 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 let's compete. <laughs> let's fight, you know? But that was just me. That was just me being frustrated. Um, but he, he developed the lapel, the lapel game, like, around purple belt. And by the time he got to brown belt, his guard was just on a different level, man. It was just, you know, it was just... It was just ridiculous to deal with. Similar question then, because uh, Keenan has referenced in past interviews that Jamil gave him a lot of the early ideas of lapel guards and stuff like that. Did you have much training with Jamil? Did you learn much from Jamil back in the day? He must have been way younger yeah, than yeah, you. Jamil was probably a little kid He's back the, then. Yeah, huh? Cra- it he was still like Cody Donnie class. Was, uh... He was like five probably or something, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was crazy, man. It was crazy. He was, I think it was like an orange belt. While I was there, yellow, orange bell, and I would train with him on occasion when I would help teach the kids class, and I would train with the kids and roll with the kids. Um, I always knew he was going to be something special, though. Like, he was just um, he was just unbelievable. He was just so ahead of his time, I felt, when he was rolling. I was like, man, this is crazy. An orange belt shouldn't be doing techniques like this. But uh, I knew he was going to be something unbelievable, and, you know, he was always a really nice kid, always a really nice kid, and it was cool to see him you know, win the world title and, and become a world champion. It was really cool. 
JT, like, I think you said you said you said two things that were like um, that I that I noticed that I've heard before. I think the first thing you said is you're the higher belt basically in the room, which makes it harder for yourself to kind of kind of right. get good training per se. Um, but you did say right. that you you would go through the aerodyne bike or basically exhaust yourself and then jump into a round with a blue belt or a white belt. But I also yeah. heard Marcelo say that a long time ago when there was nobody at Alliance, when basically it was just kind of Marcelo at, as the Alliance guy. He was saying that, you know, Fado always sent fresh bodies at him, even though it was like a master's guy or a guy that doesn't compete so much. But just because he would send fresh bodies at him would help him up his level of training as opposed to being in a, in a room with the world champions, you know. So did that, did that type of training help you a bunch, just that specifically? Absolutely, man. We used to do trainings like that all the time. Um, you know, for the higher belts in the room, especially for me, I used to do training sessions where I remember I used to sit. Um, I used to sit on my guard, sit in a seated position, and then there was a row of like five guys, and then they would rotate on me every like forty-five seconds to a minute. Um, so Shark Tanks, basically. So we used to do that a lot, and uh, it was brutal. It was brutal because it's hard. It's hard to compete or train against somebody who doesn't get tired, even though it's five people, but like, you're training, imagine training against somebody who doesn't get tired. It's basically what you're doing because they're rotating on you every minute, minute or so. So training like that really helped me up my level uh, because I, I even tell this to my students now, um, you, you tend to see people not roll when they get tired, right? Everybody trains the first round, the second round, and by the time we get to the third, fourth round, you see people sitting off to the side, um, talking about you know what they're doing tomorrow or doing on the weekend. And I always tell my students the best time to train is when you're dead tired. So when you start getting into the deeper rounds in class, grab a partner. Go ahead, roll. Because now you're going to have to be forced to rely on your technique. And that's something that I did in those in those training sessions where I will do shark tanks and things like that, be on the aerodyne bike, then roll. I was forced to work and rely on technique just because physically I was just – I was out of – you know, you know I didn't have any muscle in me left or any uh, – you know, scramble ability or, 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 or explosion of, of, of any sort to use or rely on. I had to rely on technique, get into positions where I can keep myself safe or attack them or get to the back. Um, so it definitely upped my level of technique. I felt it helped me become a lot more technical, but more so uh, mentally strong too, just because in those situations, it's easy to give up. It's easy just to like, you know what? I tap or I'm hurt. I'm hurt. I need to sit off to the side. So mentally, it also uh, it upped my mental game too. Where uh, it, you know, I, I couldn't be broken. I couldn't be broken. I just stayed in there mentally strong. And like I said, it also helps you develop your technique uh, when you're when you're dead tired. You have nothing to rely on for your technique. And you know, that's how you get better. That's how you get better. Uh, JT, uh, one last question for you before we have to cut this out soon. But don't, don't you know? Yeah. Don't rush it. Take your time. Uh, you have a crazy, sort of crazy pedigree because you went from that champion factory at Lloyd Urban to all of a sudden you went to training under, under one, of, one of the greatest of all time in Andre Galvao. Uh, yep. Describe, uh, I'd like you go, go into detail a little bit about uh, how Galvao influenced you, what it was like training under Galvao, how that changed your game up. Because you went there already as a black belt, already accomplished, but how did things change for you once you got there with Galvao? So when I got out there with, uh, with Professor Galvao, you know, one thing that changed for me right off the bat was just the the – the increase of training partners that were on the same level as me or higher, right? So the room was a lot deeper as far as black belts go, right? There was just more high-level training partners. 
And that's something that I never really experienced or hadn't had before. So when I first got there, I remember I was just getting beat up left and right. I was tough, though. I was tough and I was hard to push around and things like that. But I remember just experiencing that right off the bat. I'm like, okay, uh, I'm tough. I can I can kind of fight out of positions and give them a hard time. But I can feel that technically they're a step ahead of me. So I knew I was in the right spot. Um, so, you know, being in a room like that, I had no option but to, to you know, you know, level up in my technique. And I felt exactly that happened within the first two, three months of being there. I felt my, my level increasing. Um, you know, my timing was getting better. Just having more high-level training partners to train with and try my techniques against. Uh, so that was a learning curve for me. But, you know, it was a learning curve that was necessary that helped me go to a new level. Another thing that I also took a lot or took away from being at Autos was seeing how, uh, you know, someone who was still a full-time competitor and a full-time gym owner run a program, right? So Professor Gabal was, you know, training with us, coaching us, and still winning ADCC titles and world titles while doing that, while coaching us. So I got to see how he was able to train and, and, you know, adjust the training so he can benefit and the students can benefit. And that's something that played a huge role in my life because when I opened my academy, is when I won two back-to-back ADCC titles. So I think I learned how to how to train um, and run run a gym and, and be a coach all at the same time from Professor Galvao, which is uh, you know something that is was very you know key to my success now. What's it like rolling with Andre? Because I mean, man, he's the king of ADCC. What's it like when you guys train yeah. together in those ADCC camps? What's what's that like? It- it's it's scary, man. <laughs> it's scary. <laughs> it's scary, man. Especially during ADCC camp. Um, but he he's uh, imagine training with a gorilla who's super technical at the same time. That's that's what it is, man. It's it's uh it's 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 tough, man. Because he's so, he's someone that I wanted to train with because he was someone that I thought was probably the most well-rounded grappler in the world, right? I think Andre is good from top, bottom, takedown, submissions, E, no E, whatever. He, he does it all pretty well. So, you know, rolling with him, no matter what position you find yourself with him or put him in, he's, he's, he's knowledgeable from there. He's comfortable there. So it's training with somebody who uh, who's like a Yoda, who knows a lot of jiu-jitsu, man, who knows a lot of jiu-jitsu. He's, he's, he's got a huge wealth of knowledge when it comes to the game and positions and and even just his body awareness is crazy you know how you know you see cats jump from high like a you know jump from a cabin and then land or you know twist to the air but land on all fours he's something he's something like that as well but he happens to be a physical specimen as well so it's just it's just it's a nightmare man it's a nightmare to train with that guy but it's also great at the same time because you learn a lot and you know he's you know he's he's the ADCC legend. You know he's he's broken records, so he's uh, you know one of the best ever, ever to be in the sport. So to yeah. train with him and learn from him is is uh, unbelievable, man. One thing that uh, you can really say about Andre is that he's adapted his game as he's gotten a little bit older. I mean, he's still an incredible yeah. athletic specimen, but. Um, what what do you take from that? You're not young in your career anymore. You're one of the most credentialed yeah. black belts. I think. Are you a third degree black belt now? Is that right? I mean, you're getting up yeah, there. Yeah, I'm a third. Yeah, I'm a third degree. Uh, I'm eleven years eleven years into my black belt now. 
So it, it definitely plays a role. You know, when I was a 19-year-old black belt, you can see footage of me then. My game was a little bit different. You know, I was jumping around a lot more, a lot more movement, um, a lot more scrambles. Where now I'm focusing on getting to positions and controlling. You know, I always say uh, heavy and steady is what I like to call my game now. You know, I just want to control positions, keep my weight on my opponent where they're forced to carry my weight the whole time. Um, and just always look for, uh, you know, look for look for positions where the person where the person has no option, they can't move. This way, you can start implementing your game, your game plan. So that's how definitely my my style has changed. Something I've learned from Professor Gabao. Something he does really well is, is control. You know, once you control somebody and, and don't allow them to move, it's a lot easier to go about your you know your game plan. And that's something I do a lot more now than I did when I was you know a nineteen year old. Black though. All right. Let's before we uh, cut it off. Let's let's give Barry and Ricardo. I'll give you guys both one last question with uh, JT. Who wants to go first? Ricardo, you got anything for him? Yeah, JT. Just um, you know, aside from everything that's going on in the coronaverse right now, coronaverse. what's your um, yeah. what's your plans? What's your plans looking like? You know, let's God willing, everything's good in a month or two. Like, what's your What's your season going to look like? What you know? What uh, do you have any matches lined up? Any events that you're looking forward to? We're going to see you back at ADCC again. Tell tell us what's in the what's in store for you. Yeah, I mean, uh, man, I was to be honest with you, I was planning on. So I had a third coast grappling match coming up. Um, obviously, got canceled, and then I was supposed to be competing at Pan Am's. This. Uh, I don't, I don't even know what day it is. What day is it today? Tuesday? This past, this upcoming weekend or this past weekend? I've lost track of time already. Yeah, it would have been Saturday. Um, you would have been yeah. yeah, so I, I, I registered myself for Pan Ams. And then I was going to do the New York Open and the Chicago Open and then go right into Worlds. So I was planning on doing that. All of that got canceled. Um, I'm not sure about Worlds, but I'm assuming, I'm not sure what's going to happen with the Worlds this year. I don't know if it's going to happen or not happen or if they're going to require points or no points because I still had to make points for the, I had to make five points I think for, for Worlds this year um, really? but now I don't really have an opportunity yeah yeah so I don't know I don't, I don't really know what's going on to be honest with you as far Good as question. competing right now my main focus is just you know having the my academy survive this this storm we're going through right now uh, financially uh trying to keep the doors open so when we do pass through this there's an academy to go back to and teach and train at so that's that's my main focus right now of course i want to compete uh like i said my i was looking to compete at worlds this year i was, I was excited for that um so i'm not sure if that's happening anymore but um what i can say is i'll definitely be back at adcc for 2021 and I'm looking forward to that. But as of right now, there's nothing really planned. I know there's some people who, who are talking about holding events in May or June. But, I mean, I can't even look that far ahead right now. And my main focus right now is, like I said, is trying to keep my doors open. Um, so when we go through this, pass through this, there's an academy to go back to. All right, Barry, you got anything for him? You got a question for JT before we go? Uh, no, I, I think I'm just curious on JT, JT's thoughts on the sport and the culture and kind of its position now and things that he, he would like to see in the future, um, just creatively or just inspirationally, like what, what you would like to see happen, you know, and some of it might be like dreams or aspirations and some of this stuff might just be kind of what his thoughts on it. So uh, I'm just more curious on that from JT. 
Uh, you know, I, I love the direction that Jiu-Jitsu has taken. It's grown worldwide. Uh, of course, just like in anything, there's things that I like and don't like. But for the most part, I love the direction that that the game is taking and how there's more pro events coming along. And that's something I've dreamed about since I was a white belt, you know, seeing, you know, events. I remember watching the UFC and being like, man, I can't wait until Jiu-Jitsu is like on a stage like that. And there's a big crowd of people watching. And now you see that starting to happen on a, you know, more often. Uh, so, you know, I'm excited with the growth of that. I would like to see that happen more. I'd like to see the athletes um, treated more like professional athletes as, as the sport continues to grow, which I think will happen naturally, right? As the sport grows, more money gets gets put into the sport, more viewers and all that. Uh, I think, too, to help do that process, though, there are, there are some rules and, and positions they need to figure out, uh, you know, like, I'll go back to it, but I remember last year at World when I fought, I got caught in 50-50, pretty much spent the whole match there. For exactly. The whole, yeah, we spent we, we spent the entire match there, you know, and I, you know, I ended up losing it, well, I don't know, 4-2 to two or something like that, but I just remember looking over at the ref like, hey man, please stand us up or something. Like, you know how they do in the MMA when there's like a stalemate or even in wrestling, there's a stalemate. Yeah, okay. Stalemate reset. position. I feel like there's gotta be something done like that. This way people actually want to watch it. Um, I think that's why people right now prefer to watch Nogi over Gi. And I'm someone who loves both. I love Gi and Nogi, but I remember walking away from that match. I'm like, man, I, I don't even want to watch this match. If I was somewhere in the stands, like this is terrible, you know? Yeah. So I think they need to figure out some rules to make the game a little bit more exciting and, uh, avoid things like that. This way, it's more uh, fan friendly, you know, because that's really what it is. The, when we get more fans to watch, the more money we're gonna get. The bigger the sport's gonna grow. Everyone, everyone benefits off that, right? The more fans there is, so uh, I, I would like to see that happen. I would like to see some rules get put in place for positions like <clears throat> double guard pool, fifty fifty. Um, you know, even some lapel guard situations. And you know, and I, you know. With that being said, I don't want I don't want you know anyone to get pissed. Like, oh, lapel guard works. It does work. And guys like Heenan, uh, even guys like Hibamar, they use lapel guard and attack from there. But there are some people out there who use it to kind of stall and slow the game down. So I lapel think and 50-50. Yeah, lapel and 50-50. No, when they use yeah. the lapel in the 50-50, it's the, they're, mm. they're basically just doing it just to hold people. That, that's not like a worm guard position. <laughs> Well, yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. exactly what I'm referring to where I got stuck at Worlds last year. Um, and it was frustrating, you know, but I hope they, they make and a JT, where, yeah. JT, sorry to break you, but we've been exploring this idea just as an idea. But let's just say, example, the simple rules were six-minute match. You only get one timeout, mount, and back take. That's what you get. How would you like that rule set in general? Everything else kind of flows, but that's basically what you can do. How, how do you think I, that no, would I, play out? I, I think it would force them more action, actually. So um, I think that's a good idea. You know, I think it's a good idea to explore on and, and build off. But, you know, things like that, like what you just suggested, will force more action and, and, and the fighters to actually fight, you know, not try to just win a match by a last-second advantage or sweep. Um, and and it will bring more action, which will bring more fans. Something, there's a position that uh, I, I think needs to be a stalemate position. You see it happen to like, roost or light feather where, like, they both basically have, like, a backwards close guard on each other. 
sometimes and it's like yes. they're just like taking turns going on top and like nobody really horrible has anything to, to do from yeah, it's horrible like, to watch horrible yeah, horrible. yeah. yeah like just just stand them up uh, I agree so I mean I, I come from wrestling too and stalemate positions are those are great it's like hey nothing's happening here it's a stalemate get back up or whatever stand you know? back up yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. To, to push the action. All right, guys, we uh, we're gonna we're getting kicked out of the studio. There's another show starting in uh, 20 minutes. They got to get us out of here. JT, thank you very much for coming calling in. This was awesome, man. And uh, uh, get back to your Madden. I got a question for you. Who do you, who do you play with in Madden? Who's your team? The, C- the Seahawks. Seattle Seahawks. All right, I didn't see that coming. All right, uh, <laughs> Ricardo, take it easy out there. Don't get beat up for any toilet paper in, in Hamilton. Bear, take it easy, man. All right, I'll see you guys. Anybody watching, tomorrow we have Buchecha at 5 Eastern. Thursday we have Andre Galvao at 2.15 Eastern. Friday we have Lachlan Giles at 5 Eastern. So a big week. So every day we got stuff. Thank you so much, JT. See you guys. Stay safe. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you guys for having me. Take care, guys. Bye, guys.